Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Jim, I've long considered myself an almost immigrant. It was my greatest embarrassment when I was young, but later it became a source of pride. I'm really of two countries, the UK and America, born here, but lived in England for 20 years. I came back in my early 30s to the United States with a slightly odd Anglo-American accent and felt awkward. But over time, I became a lot more comfortable with dual nationality and realized it's a reason why I think I'm so reasonable to you. Maybe that's it. In this show, Richard, we're going to take a look again at immigrants and refugees, why they're good for the country, bringing new life, innovations and ideas with Tolu Olabumi, Leonard Doyle and Ahmed Bader. Well, I think there needs to be a more grown-up approach by the mainstream media to stop panicking people about migration. Just because you see some people being fished up out of the water in the Mediterranean does not mean there's an invasion of people coming. Let's manage the process. Let's calm people's fears. Let's explain to people many of the parts of our daily lives are brought to us through globalization, if you will, but the globalization of people. And at the same time, reassure people that there's no loss of values. There's an enrichment of values. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? One of the many impacts of the coronavirus era we're in is a sharp decline in travel. In most parts of the world, the spread of the virus put a hold on one of the greatest trends of the modern age, the mass movement of people, not just tourists, but migrants, expats, asylum seekers, refugees, and IDPs internally displaced people. In this country, even before COVID hit, the Trump administration reversed decades of U.S. policy on immigration and refugees, imposing sweeping restrictions on admitting foreign workers, refugees, and students. Business groups have pushed back very recently with lawsuits against this. Universities and colleges objected. Democrats in the House passed a bill just a few days ago to reverse the restrictions. Some people see migration as a threat. For others, it's an opportunity. On this show, we're going back to our How Do We Fix It archives with three interviews from the recent past. All speak about what immigration means to them. Let's start with our first guest. 
Tolu Olubumi is a young Nigerian-born, American-raised chemical engineer. She's had a remarkable career spending the past decade leading social impact movements focused on young people, migration, economic inclusion, and climate change. I work with Tou on a podcast series about the stories of migrants, immigrants, and refugees called A Way Home Together. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you're originally from Nigeria. Yes, I am. And are a dreamer. So before we get any further, what's a dreamer? So a dreamer is a young person who has grown up in the U.S., um, was brought to the U.S. at a young age, but is or has been in the past undocumented. The name is derived from legislation in U.S. Congress called the DREAM Act, and it was set to address the issue of young folks who are brought to the U.S., um, but are not currently legally able to live and work in the U.S., And that's your story. I think you were 14 when you first came here? I was, I was. And I'm not going to tell you the year because then you can do the math. (laughs) But I was 14 when I came to the U.S. from Nigeria. I grew up uh, in uh, the D.C. metro area and uh, went to college in Virginia and... You know, it's been it's been an interesting journey. This has been home for a very, very long time for me. You got a degree in chemical engineering. I did. I wanted to be an engineer since the age of eight. Um, and I chased after that. I got accepted into a, a great university, Washington Lee University, and I studied chemical engineering there. But being a dreamer mm-hmm. has made it impossible for you to get a job as a chemical engineer? It did. After graduation, I found out that I'd lost my legal immigration status and I'd become undocumented. And that meant that I could not live or work legally in in the U.S. But you stayed here and, and you became an advocate for migrants and refugees, displaced people. Why do you feel so strongly about that? I guess, I guess the answer could be obvious. It's, it, it, it's close to your heart. It is close to my heart. But there was a very clear transition from being a victim of the broken immigration system and recognizing that there are people that are in worse situations than me, not just here in the U.S., but also globally. And the more and more I went to the U.S. Congress to advocate on behalf of undocumented young people, the more I realized that stories like mine were not commonly known. There was not an understanding of how wide this crisis was and how diverse the people that are affected by the problems are. Today, Tolu is a legal U.S. resident, She's the founder and CEO of a nonprofit group called Lions Right. My favorite African proverb, which my organization is named after, Lions Right, says, until the lion learns to write, all the stories will glorify the hunter. There is a conversation that needs to be had that pulls in both sides of the issue. And you not only get the truth out, you also empower those that are directly affected to be champions in their own cause. That's how we really find lasting solutions. More than 70 years ago, the U.S. and other nations signed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Tolu says protecting democracy is a vital cause. This is why we have that, because the human rights of all people need to be protected. The rights of institutions that are there to make sure the rule of law applies to all need to be protected. Without those, we'd slide into this abyss of chaos. I think something that a lot of people, when we discuss migration, don't realize 
that part of managing migration also means making conditions better for people to return to their home countries. There are a lot of migrants that would rather be in their home countries. Um, there are a lot of refugees that would rather be in their home countries. I think what we need to focus on is the free movement of people, allowing people to live and work freely wherever they choose to. Of course, making sure that there is an agreement between both parties, but creating pathways that address economic migration and the need for jobs and the need for businesses to have talent move to certain countries. So as a squishy libertarian, I'm in favor of the free movement of people, ideas, goods, and and the rest. But you do have to acknowledge that very large flows of refugees or migrants create certain challenges. And we've seen some of those challenges politically, and it creates economic challenges for, for the, the receiving countries. How do we manage those? Are there limits that can be set? How do we negotiate what's in an appropriate level for a given country to, I mean, you, you must hear this a lot, how many people can they accommodate? And what are the right numbers? Yeah. Migration has always been a part of our world. Each country, yes, needs to make a decision on who they allow in the country and how many. However, if you base those decisions on facts, like here in the U.S., 40% of Fortune 500 companies are started by migrants or the children of migrants. That is economic boost, not a draw. The fact that more migrants start businesses than do native-born citizens, that is an economic boost. So when we make these decisions and we base them in fact, it changes our perspective and it changes the way we deal with this. And we need to have this safe, orderly way of allowing people in, attending to the needs of businesses, and also recognizing that the human rights of all should be essential to whatever policies we we put forward. Tolu Olubumi, speaking with us last year on How Do We Fix It? Speaking of business, in late July, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and leading manufacturers and retailers filed a lawsuit against newly issued restrictions on work visas. In a statement, they said, American innovation rests on having the best and brightest work here. Over the past century, the United States has benefited immensely from courageous individuals who have left their homes, accepting an invitation to travel to America for temporary work. So the debate on all this continues. In late 2017, we spoke with Leonard Doyle for an episode called Why Migration is good. Leonard is a former journalist and head of media and communications at the UN Migration Agency, IOM. He spoke with me in Geneva, Switzerland. We have about 750 million migrants in the world. Many of these are students who have gone and studied somewhere, fallen in love and overstayed their visa. They're migrants. Tourists, same thing happens. Guess what? They fall in love, they stay. Some are people who are moving for their jobs, what are commonly known as expats in this weird way we describe them. But they're migrants at the end of the day. So so what you're saying is that in many cases, migrants are not a problem, but an opportunity. And in fact, they're a reality of globalization. Many of the wonderful things we know about globalization, the, the, the microphone you have right in front of me, the iPhone beside you, are all a product of migrants. I mean, Steve Jobs' dad came from... Syria. So you wouldn't have this incredible technology without the process of of migration. Wherever you look, you often find the innovators, the creators, the harder workers 
come from the migration background. Are people on the move now more than ever? And if so, why? I think that is, it is fair to say that there are more people on the move than have ever been before. And it's due to the opening of borders, the better transportation, this extraordinary revolution in air transport. We're in a much more mobile world and we have what we call shrinking distance technology. People get on Skype and before they know it, they're making plans to travel halfway around the world to meet their family member in China or somewhere. So I think what's happened is all of this has speeded up over time. And what we haven't done is we haven't quite caught up intellectually or emotionally with the reality of suddenly our communities are much more mixed. Our migrant populations are working with us. They're sitting right beside us. They're not in a ghetto somewhere anymore. A little pushback. You say that people on the move generally are an opportunity rather than a crisis, and yet we have these huge problems that your organization, IOM, International Organization for Migration, are dealing with. For instance, the desperate plight of Rohingyas in Bangladesh or the movement of people who are desperate to leave uh, extreme poverty in Africa. I think let's separate uh, two things. One is the refugee issue, which you've alluded to in, in the Rohingya in Bangladesh. These are people who are being forced out of their country with a very sharp stick in their back, not to say a machete. These are people who are entitled to, deserving of, need to be granted refugee status. It's absolutely cut and dry. It gets a bit more difficult when people are leaving because of poverty or climate change or any of the multitude of reasons that people decide because they saw the bright lights on their smartphone on their Facebook feed, for example, they said, I'm getting out of here. Migration is the best adaptation strategy in the face of human trouble. And so that's what people do. And we, with our technology, are so entranced with it for our own life, we forget that it's having an equal and greater impact for the people who don't have many resources. I mean, a smartphone is a supercomputer in the hands of a kid with a torn T-shirt. Why would we blame him for seeking a better life? To what extent is the smartphone and social media a problem in in this mix? Well, in some ways, it's an opportunity. In some ways, it's a massive problem. It's an opportunity because it gives people a route. It it expands people's minds, people who are interested in wider knowledge of the world. They've got it now in their hands. They just need to find a Wi-Fi connection. But it's also a pernicious opportunity for unscrupulous criminals, smugglers, traffickers, abusers of weak and vulnerable and poorly educated people to exploit them. And this is a massive problem because as social media, so-called, invades our media space and actually takes it over, without acknowledging that it's media, it's not taking the responsibility that media companies normally had. If there's one solution or even several solutions that you would offer in the overall picture of, of global migration... Uh, what would they be? Well, I think there needs to be a more grown-up approach by the mainstream media to stop panicking people about migration. Just because you see some people being picked up, fished up out of the water in the Mediterranean does not mean there's an invasion of people coming. Let's manage the process. Let's calm people's fears. Let's explain to people that the internal movie in their head about migration isn't of muggers and rapists and terrorists coming. It's actually of people whom you drop your kids off to in the morning, the person who gives you a sandwich. When you get a root canal, it's more than likely going to be a migrant who's doing it to you later in the afternoon, and brilliantly probably. Many of the parts of our daily lives these days are brought to us through globalization, if you will, but the globalization of people. And at the same time, reassure people that there's no loss of values. There's an enrichment of values. Leonard Doyle of the UN's IOM in 2017. 
This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And before we resume with our third interview, a quick word for a podcast called Resettled. The word refugee is thrown around a lot, but what does it actually refer to? We want to tell you about a new podcast from VPM, which is Virginia Public Media, called Resettled, that shares the intimate moments of refugees' lives and explores the policies that shape their future in the United States. From navigating the healthcare system to budgeting for a family with no credit history, hear from resettled refugees not as victims or statistics, but as active members of their communities. Sounds great. Listen and subscribe to Resettled wherever you get podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now to our third interview, which is with Ahmed Bader. He is right now the host of Resettled, the podcast you just heard about. Ahmed was eight years old when a bomb hit his family's home in Baghdad. That was in 2006. Ahmed, his sister, and their parents went to Syria for two years before eventually being resettled in the U.S. They were given four one-way tickets to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Ahmed and his family had to learn English first. His parents, both civil engineers, also had to go back to college. Eventually, they found good jobs in Texas, and Ahmed went to college. In 2017, we asked him why it's important to tell the personal stories of refugees. I think it's important because it humanizes a word that is often thought of in the abstract. When you hear the word refugee, when you hear the word migrant, when you hear the word Muslim, when you hear the word Iraqi, um, usually what comes to mind is, for most people at least, this this narrative of violence and war, and that's it. That's where the story starts and where it ends. And, and with these types of projects, whether it's the, the Together podcast or any other kind of uh, storytelling project that seeks to uh, you know, tell the stories of migrants and refugees, you're putting a face and a story um, to a word that's often thought of in a very general way. So I think these types of projects are incredibly important because they humanize an abstract subject. Well, how do you think people in the U.S. look at refugees? There's two answers to this. There's like the, the easy one, which is, is like, you know, maybe they feel this fear or this apprehension towards, you know, refugees. And, and again, that's a general statement. And it doesn't need to be that polarized. It doesn't have to be that all refugees are good or all refugees are bad. But when we hear these stories, um, for example, in the Together podcast, I got to talk to young refugees in America, people like me um, from the Congo, um, from the Middle East, 
you know, these are young people that show the diversity and the fluid nature of the word refugee. So I think um, most Americans have had contact with refugees. They just maybe don't know it. Well, let me ask you a question about refugees. Yes. Do you think that refugees and migrants should learn English? Yes. And should they assimilate to the culture here? I think assimilation is a tricky word, right? So there's assimilation and there's integration. And I think integration is is more important. When you assimilate, you assume that you're erasing a part of your past and adopting a new one that's going to take the place of what you had previously. I'm not really a proponent of that. I think um, integration is a better word and it's something that should be embraced. So, for example, I have now been in the U.S. for almost 10 years um, I am Iraqi, I am American, or I bring perspectives from both worlds. And, and, and so I have become Americanized to a certain extent, no matter how much it pains me to say that. Um, <laughs> you <but> are joking. <laughs> I am, I am joking. Um, and, you know, I am Iraqi American, whether I like it or not. And I can reach out to both sides and try to bring them closer together. In your personal experience, did you feel a sense of, of suspicion or, or distrust from the people around you? Not really. I think, I mean, in the first year in America, I didn't really feel that at all. Um, maybe because I was so young, when you're 10, when you're 11, you don't really talk about politics. You want to play with people and your world is so limited. Um, but when we moved to Brookings, South Dakota, when I entered middle school, then it kind of started brewing. Then I started having more and more experiences in which I had people um, kind of making assumptions about where I was from after I answered that question of, oh, well, um, you know, where are you from? What's your religion? I would say, oh, I'm from Iraq. Uh, I'm, I'm Muslim. And, uh, you know, they'd make that assumption. Oh, oh, so you're from you're a terrorist then. Oh, okay. That's like part of the, and it was so interesting because it wasn't really out of hatred, but I think they were trying to say it to get along with me, which, which is, which is <laughs> a, weird. a kind of a weird way of looking at it. But I mean, the way the kids tease each other, you think it's, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. interested in this. My wife taught mm-hmm. middle school in the yeah. South Bronx for yeah. quite a few years. Yeah. And she said, a lot of the kids would tease, um, kids, South Asian or Arab kids, and they'd call them terrorists. Yeah. You know, she was struck that that word terrorist was thrown around by 12 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Someone asked me, uh, if Osama bin Laden was my cousin. I remember this to this day. I was like, no, you know, he's not. I have a cousin named Osama, but <laughs> it's not him. Since we did this interview, Ahmed has graduated from Wesleyan College. While he was there, he wrote, A global citizen is someone who is willing to entertain the other side, no matter how much the other side hurts us to listen to or witness. In our interview, I asked him about that. Yeah, and I realized this early on in South Dakota in middle school where uh, I was asked, uh, again, when I get those ridiculous questions, but I I had a choice. I could either get angry and start yelling and, and say, oh, no, that's not, you know, and, and kind of have a fight or kind of take a step back and say, OK, well, no, that's not really that's not OK. And then continue to build those friendships. And then in time, those individuals are going to realize, oh, he's really not like that. What I said earlier was completely wrong. And to me, that's more powerful than any lecture I can give someone. And in terms of things that we can do, um, I think it just comes down to first, not thinking of refugees as the other, 
But switching the conversation or the question uh, to what do I have in common with this refugee family? And when you hear the word refugee, why don't you think about a coworker or someone your kid goes to college with instead of someone that is just fleeing war and wants to come here and just take jobs from the economy? Ahmed so, Butter. <laughs> Ahmed Butter, thanks very much. I hope I pronounced it right. You did. Thank you very much, Richard. <laughs> or pronounced it right. <laughs> thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thank you. Coming up next, Jim and me, our conversation. Or is it Jim and I? But first, a recommendation. So, Richard, my recommendation this week is very appropriate to the topic of this Rewind episode. And that is the new sitcom from Mindy Kaling called Never Have I Ever. Kind of a classic sitcom, but executed at a very, very high level of sophistication about a teenage girl from a family of immigrants from India. And it really gets into both the the angst and emotion of being a teenager in America, but also some of the tensions the family feels about how much to hold on to some of the traditional cultural norms and how much to adapt. So I really, really recommend it. It's streaming on Netflix and it's a big hit. A lot of our listeners have probably already seen it, but if you haven't, I would check it out. One of the things that really stuck out for me is the importance of storytelling, of telling individual stories as opposed to speaking about an issue in the abstract. I think it can help inform our responses to migration and the movements of people. Individual stories are what humanize statistics. And I think with all the COVID stuff going on, what's been going on with immigration has not gotten the attention that it should. But I think for people who come at politics from more of a conservative background, there's an awful lot that's happened in the Trump administration that that some conservatives like, but a lot of people are very concerned about this kind of instinctive bias against immigration. It's one thing to be concerned about illegal immigration, but being concerned about illegal immigration shouldn't mean that you're just against immigration in general. I think this is a, a really sad and unfortunate position. And the administration has All over the map, they've found different ways to make life more difficult or to restrict forms of immigration that I think are really important for the country. You just alluded to a big reason why we decided to do this episode, and that is that uh, a huge issue like uh, the merits or or problems with migration uh, are being ignored right now by many because of the COVID crisis. And that's also true with a number of other issues, including climate change. Before we go, though, just to say, if you want to go back and hear longer versions of these interviews, you can go to howdowefixit.me. I hope you'll be able to go back and and search earlier episodes. You know, I, I find myself using that search function more and more now that we have so many episodes and we've been doing the this show for um, about five years. So we've amassed an amazing library of interviews. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And this is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. And as always, thanks very much to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, who had an extra big task this week of putting this show together. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.